0: It is about that time of year, isn't it, where we make uh, resolutions. We start to think again about how we might be better people. We look back on 2017, what happened to us in 2017, and we look at the story that 2017 was. And whether we do it verbally or whether we do it just in our subconscious or whether we're reminded of it by a friend or whatever it is, we we resolve to be better people people. We make plans. We try and progress. Progress. I want us to hold on to that word. This is going to be a significant word in the the sermon tonight. We want to progress to the next level. I wonder what progression would look like for you in 2018. What would it mean for you to be in a better place than you were in 2017? Would it mean a better job would it mean more family time? Would it be that sort of wrestling match? Would it be more money, better prospects, better playlist on Spotify? What would it mean for you to progress this year? I want you to hold that thought in your head because progress seems to be an idea built deep into our psyche, doesn't it? As human beings, this idea of progress becoming better, it's something that we are constantly striving towards and at the same time as we're a human race that's trying to progress whenever we think about what it means to progress we do exactly that we think well what is what does it mean to progress what is progression what would that look like for me but what would that look like for us as human beings because on the one hand we look around us and we see very obviously and overtly the fact that we are progressing don't we? It's hard not to look at your smartphone, because it is so blooming smart, your smartphone, and think that we haven't progressed. And I'm not that old, and I don't have so many wrinkles to know that a couple of years ago when I wanted to make a private call, Jude used to live up in Scotland, my wife Jude here, and we were going out, and I wanted to get in touch with her. I had to go to the red telephone box down the street I had to I had to leave my house which which when you explain that to someone who's like if you're less than thirty now you're going to be just you're gonna what do you what does that mean what are you saying to me? You would go and put coins into into a, a red box in the street, which just sounds so weird and the other alternative to that was to use mum and dad's phone and and their phone has only just progressed to one that is buttons and it was the dial thing I don't, I don't even know what that's called, but you'd have to it was just an insane, like now with the smartphone, it just feels like an insane process. You'd go back, I'd get the phone book out, you still got a phone book, get the phone book out, you'd rake through the book, it'd be this like mechanical, oh I've forgotten the number, where's the phone book again? It would just take for for hours, for- forever, it would just take forever, wouldn't it, this sort of process. And now, like just before Christmas, just to appreciate where we've got, I- there was a a gift that I was looking for for somebody in my family. I didn't even really know what it was. I just kind of heard it. I was able just to, I think I said it to the tablet, and the tablet told me that it was made in some country I'd never heard of by a company I'd never heard of. I couldn't really even figure out what it was, and yet in two days, a slightly sweaty gentleman in a white van brought it to my door. And I was like, how is that possible? So you look at this and you think, man, we have... We have progressed, haven't we? We have made huge strides. It's hard to argue with the fact that we've made huge strides, isn't it? And we often would refer to this age as the communication age. We live in the age of communication. We've had these different ages of civilization where you're like, we've had the Bronze Age and the Iron Age, and it's like, we've got this down, we've got this idea fixed. If we know anything about stuff, we know about iron. We know about bronze. And now we live in the age of communication where you'd say, if, 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 if there's one thing that we've got right now in the 21st century, it's that we can communicate, right? We've progressed to this point. But actually, one of the biggest problems facing us as human beings, and I think this sits plumbly in the parameters of irony, is that we really struggle to talk to each other. It just seems ridiculous. We have progressed, yes, yeah, sh- haven't we? We've progressed. We've moved along, and we live in the age of communication. And yet now, one of the big, like Londoners at the moment, when they're planning their next, their next housing developments, they're reintroducing the idea of communal gardens, which I think is like the, in the film Notting Hill. They've got these communal gardens. It's a lovely idea, but they're reintroducing them because we've gotten rubbish at talking to each other in the age of communication. We've gotten rubbish at talking to each other. The things that we'll worry about for our kids is that they'll be on their screens communicating so much that they'll not know how to talk to somebody else. You ever you ever had that moment where you've been in the supermarket and you've seen a friend on one of your friends on Facebook? You ever had that moment? And you're good friends on Facebook actually. You will interact quite a bit, and yet you've seen them in the supermarket and you're like, "Oh, I'm a bit shy." Just that moment of, I'm not really sure whether I should talk to this person. You know, you, you can communicate with them on this level, but then the, the reality of bumping into them in the supermarket just overwhelms you, and you'll dodge them on the aisle or something like that. It's an odd thing, isn't it? And, and, and in one sense, you're like, you're convinced, you're like, yes, we've progressed. Surely we've progressed. And at the same time, when we think about human progress, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, have, have we progressed? And as you think about it some more, you're thinking, well, what, what exactly would it mean for us as human beings to be, for us to progress. And what we do as human beings is we go away. Uh, our French philosophers go away and scratch their heads. And British engineers go away and scratch their heads and we go and think some more. We go and work at it. We go and strive. And us, we, we make resolutions. Year on year we say, we're going to do better next year and we keep progressing. The Bible I think puts an interesting, interesting block in our step. It gives us something really interesting to think about when we think about what progress is. It halts us. Now, I want to be really clear. I think I need to be careful. I want to give it all like this, just to say that the Bible doesn't discourage us from striving and achieving. And, and working hard. These these ideals are promoted and presented in the Bible. There, there, there is a real call for us to, to, to work hard and to be honorable and to explore our gifting, things like that, to be creative. There's, there's an encouragement for us to do that, but I think the Bible gets us to think more deeply about what progress might be other than striving and reaching hard and thinking harder and being smarter. One... Um, a couple of stories just to illustrate this point just to progress this school of thought a little bit more in the in the old testament one of the big one of the big storylines one of the big narratives is the story of the progress of god's people israel you you start off somewhere in genesis and there's a guy called abraham and he's in ur of the caldees and there's these big tall trees, and it's just him on his own. And born out, of, born out of him and God's promise, a nation is born. And initially, they wander down uh, to, in, into what becomes Israel, and they end up as slaves in Egypt, and they're just a, a bunch, you know, a ragtag army, and then God saves them, and there's the exodus, and they are redeemed, and, and then they become a bunch of wandering souls, you know, the, the birth of a nation, and then eventually they get to the promised land. There's this progression, and they are and it, you know it 's the story of Israel, and maybe in some respects it 's still the story of Israel, and they are fighting tooth and nail t- to have an existence they, and, and, and at this point in in the Old Testament narrative they 're looking around at other nations and they 're looking at how they might progress. what would be the next logical step for them to progress, and they see the other nations doing this that, and they see that other nations have kings and after the first king Saul, God. Uh, God looks again at for, for another option, and he sends his prophet Samuel into Bethlehem to Jesse. And he pulls, Jesse's, uh, Jesse's there with all his sons, sort of, you can imagine them in high order, and, and Samuel's there looking, looking through this bunch of guys, you know, good-looking guys. He brings out the best guys first. And, and there's a real keynote that the Bible makes for us at this point. There's a real clear message from God. These people looking for progress. God goes out of the way to Bethlehem to this guy, Jesse, and then he goes through all these sons. Good-looking number one, slightly less good-looking number two. That's kind of the impression that you get, and you work your way down, and God says to Samuel, it's none of these, and he, and he goes to Jesse, have you got any more? And Jesse says, yeah, there's David, the shepherd boy. He's out covered in muck watching the sheep, and Samuel says, this, this guy is the one. And God's word says to us really clearly in this moment, and it's a, it's a verse that you'll know. He says that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And God's word in this this story of progression, we're arrested and we see that the nation of Israel determined to progress. And yet God puts in our way this idea in this journey of progress of the condition of our hearts and the high value that God puts on our hearts. And he kind of internalizes it. He freeze frames the whole thing and he says, I want you to remember the value of this when you consider progress, a heart that's moved towards God. There's another story in the New Testament that Jesus tells. Two brothers are arguing about an inheritance, having this barney about an inheritance, and and they ask Jesus what he should do, and then he tells them a, a parable, tells them a story. He says, there's a farmer that has a great harvest one year, has a brilliant harvest, really successful harvest. And he does a life rethink on the back of this amazing harvest. He takes his small barns and he plans to knock them both down and build bigger barns. Progress, right? When I hear this story, I think, yeah, I'd do that. And the story goes on to say he would kick back and eat, drink, and be merry because he would have enough food to last him a lifetime. And you look at that story initially and you think, yeah, that's progress, right? This guy's making progress, and Jesus comes to him, and he reflects as he speaks about this story, and he says, this man is, and he, this, this word is not used lightly in the Bible. He says, this man is a fool to think like this about progress, and you think that seems harsh. I'm sure the rest of us would think that's pretty logical steps in terms of thinking about progress. Jesus says, this man is a fool, and he says in the story, he says, consider the fact that this very night your." soul might be required of you. Jesus goes on to say, what would it profit a man if he gained the whole, and you know some of these verses, you're ahead of me, if he would gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul. The Bible checks our stride. It deliberately interrupts us when we think about what progress is, and it asks us to think about something else. doesn't diminish the idea of working hard and being opportunistic and all the rest of it, but it checks our stride, and it causes us to look internally at ourselves. Right, we're on to this text. We've got there. It's all right. Often when we come to this text and, and letters like this, the Apostle Paul, in a lot of his letters to these churches around about, there are these lists that are in them. There, there are these lists of behavior qualities, and if, you've, if, you've, if you're the same kind of person as me, you've read them over the years, and you've seen them, and you've thought, I'm sure I've got this nailed down. I'm sure I'm within the side of this bracket, and you read through the list of qualities that is expected, and then as you read through it, you think, actually, man, I'm not doing so very well if I actually analyze what these words are, and then by the time you read it to the end, you think, I don't know if I'm doing any of these. I want To change our stride again when we look at a passage like this, just for a second. We see them as commands and instructions. That's what the Apostle Paul is giving. I want just to change tack a little bit and for us to think of these as opportunities for progress. Just for tonight. Don't always read that passage in this light. Just for tonight. I want us to look at this list, this tricky list as opportunities for progress. Verse 5. Cast your eyes on verse 5. What does it say? Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. I want you to imagine the possibilities that come with that. Can you imagine having that level of of discipline just to be able to go? I'm I'm able to just to park all my carnal nature and bury it under the ground so I can never go back there again. Can you imagine how that would change the world if people did that? Can you imagine the, the possibilities? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Imagine a world where kind of the sexual mistakes that we've all probably made to some degree or another, if they all just stopped happening, if we just got our game together as a human race, if we valued purity above all else and we just just became pure, all of us. Can you imagine the change that would take place in the world if en masse or as a nation people or as a people group people just went, yeah. This is a good way to go. This is a good way to be. And there were no more sexual mistakes. There were no more errors in that way. Can you imagine the change that that would bring on the world? Verse 6, can you imagine a world without without greed? Can you imagine what that would look like if everybody was just like, I'm good with what I've got and just I do really value with what, what I've got. I'm really happy with the amount of stuff that I've, that I've got. Can you imagine what the world would look like? If everybody was, was in that same boat, like when greed just disappeared, can you imagine what that would be like? It almost sounds ridiculous to think of a world without greed. Can you imagine a world where everybody just resolved their anger issues? That would almost be eerie, wouldn't it? It would almost just be a bit weird. You know, you crash your car, you get out of the car, and the guy comes to Roger, he's like, well, hey, mistakes happen, don't they? And you both sort of go, yeah, they do, don't they? Mistakes happen. And then we get back in our cars and work it out. Then you crash into him the next day. Same guy. Get out of your car. Yeah, mistakes happen, don't they? Yeah, I know mistakes happen. Can you imagine this? And, but every, our anger issues, you've buried them. You've, just, you've, you've taken them and you've just, you've dealt with it. I, I remember often as a teenager, I'd get to these points in my life where I'd go to my parents and say, I know I've been a bit, been a bit of a pain these last few months. I want you to know. I have I've moved on. I have dealt my anger issues that were then. I have dealt with them. Imagine if that actually came, if that was actually realised in your life, in the life of people, everybody in escape or people in the world. Imagine the changes that would come about, and then read what it says. You know, the list goes on, and it asks more and more of us. There's more and more possibilities. And then in verse eleven, we just get a bit of a we get a bit of a picture of what this might look like. Verse eleven here. There is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. There are no denominational lines. There's no prejudices. We all just get on. That's what this looks like. Can you you imagine this place? Can you imagine what that would be like? It's hard even to see it, isn't it? No white supremacist. No anger in the Middle East. There's just not that division. Can you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine a world like that? And then, and then the sort of the tone of these instructions are turned on its head, and Paul says, imagine that we were all clothed with compassion. I love that idea. The first time you look at somebody, the first thing you see of them, their coat that they've got around them, it's not anger, it's not malice, it's not slander. You don't need to say all bad about anybody. It's compassion. Imagine that's the way the world was. Everybody, every time, I, I think, again, it would be a little bit eerie. You look around and somebody's looking and sees the best in you. Another guy sees the best in you. Another guy wants the best for you. Can you imagine this world? One of the incredible things that I think that the Bible says, and we look at this list and we think this is impossible. The Bible says this, this is a Possibility. This can happen. And we read through those lists, and we sort of cover that ground, and we see that list there. And perhaps, you've, perhaps you're like me. You've stared at this list before. And perhaps you've had New Year's resolutions where you've revisited a list like this, and you've said, I see, I get this. I get that actually this is a way that the world could progress. I get even looking at myself, if I take on some of those traits The world will be a better place. And you, New Year's Eve, you say to yourself, I am going to resolve to behave like this. And you've made these resolutions before. And you look back at them again now and you think, well, I've tried to do that so many times and I've failed. And what happens often with us as Christians, what happens to me is we look at these lists and our hearts become hard because we see the world that we actually have to live in and the reality of life and the high bar, the high level of expectation that God calls us to. And our hearts get hard, and we say, I can't do that. I can't get there. And just, I think hopefully, at that point where we realize that our hearts are hard, God's Word word would speak to us. And it would remind us that this behavior that we strive for, there is another way to progress in this world. And it is when our hearts... Somewhere deep within us is moved towards God. Look at what it says in verse 1. So this passage is a bit of a sandwich. There's the instructions in the middle, this list, this this level of behavior that God wants from us, that, that he asks for us, that is almost unimaginable. And then it, that is sandwiched between the, here's how you do it. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. Do you see what happens in this story? Do you see the logical process? This level of behavior that we would, would scare us to death and that we've failed so many times. That God says, I love you and I've acted to save you and your hearts that get hard have been moved. And the sandwich at the bottom, verse 15 through, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. This is what the Word of God says. It says, your hearts have been moved. Your hearts have been moved. I think one, of the, one of the challenges for us, or the challenge that I'm laying before you for 2018, is that the reality for so many of us so often is that our hearts get hardened. Our hearts get hardened. And this gospel story that Paul talks about says this is not a story that keeps your hearts hard. This is a story that moves your hearts. The challenge for us as Christchurch this year, because there will be st- There will be, and we're excited about this year, we're enthused about this year, it's going to be a good year, but as with everything, there will be challenges along the way that cause us real dark moments. We've got no idea what's coming this year. As a church, as individuals, health, relationships, we don't know what lies in front of us. And in the midst of all that, God's word says to us, God's word appeals to us, keep your hearts soft, remain moved by my story. And it's true, isn't it? Our our hearts are often drawn to the world. Our ambitions are in there. From deep within us, we're just pulled to things of the world. And this passage says, look, I've, I've stolen away your heart already. You've got faith in me. Your heart resides in heaven where I am. And our hearts are restless sometimes. And God says, you need your hearts to be stilled and full of peace, a peace that comes with knowing me. And I love the verse at the end. I love where it takes us to. And I think when we think about progress, I don't think there's a higher point of progress than this. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. The picture, if you dig around at what the words mean here is of a heart that is got so full of the story and the gospel of God that it starts to spill over. And the way that it spills over is that songs come out. And we've, we've done a series on what worship is, and that is hopefully what we try to preach. I don't think that we, reach a higher, that we will ever reach a higher point of progress while we remain here on earth than when our hearts are moved towards God and the overflow of that movement is songs towards God. I don't think we'll ever say anything smarter. I don't think we'll ever acknowledge anything more worthwhile in these moments than the songs that spill out of our mouths when we are grateful to a holy God. It is probably the peak of our human progress to have a heart that is moved towards God. The other thing that the Apostle Paul does, the clever thing that the Apostle Paul does is is he tells us all this. He lays down this theory. He explains to us how it is. And we have this. Here's the the middle of the sandwich, this 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 godly character traits that we aspire to, and the outside of the sandwich is, well, here's how you do it. It's through hearts are moved. But the Apostle Paul never gives us much instruction or theology without talking about the cross of Christ. He can't get to the end of a sentence barely without mentioning this cross because he knows what we're like. He says, you need to have this picture because your heart's I can't say more than a few words to you expecting that you will change without talking about this cross. And he brings us back there again in verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. He gives us the picture of Christ to set your hearts on things above. That's why you should be moved because this is what's happened to you. And he draws us again to the cross in our cynicism. Have you ever had one of those moments where I have quite a few Grumpy on the couch, old man moments. Now, where I just I, I lose myself, and I realise that I've spent the last hour been quite cynical about almost everything, and like grumpy dad moments. You know, just angry at the world and and downhearted about the world, and not so excited about life. And then you watch, you watch a programme, and often with me it's like DIY SOS or something like that. And I'll watch it, and I feel like it just cuts through me like a knife. And I see for a second, and it doesn't last long; it fades. Does the power of the SOS. But for a second, I see the world through a different lens. I think, man, if they can do that, then surely anything's possible. And when God's word, we read it, often we come back to the picture of the cross and it breaks us again. And that cynicism we've got about what we can and can't do is completely broken. And we see limitless progress, not because of anything we can strive to achieve, but because of what Christ did. It's the picture of the cross. I wonder what progress will look like for you in 2018. I wonder what it will be. I would encourage you, don't stop striving. Don't stop being creative. Don't stop thinking. Don't stop making resolutions. I don't think the Bible tells us to do that. But know Way above all this, if we are serious about making progress, we need to remember the value of a heart that is moved towards a holy God and by Him.